I'm Michelle Ingarto, Vice President of Corning Wireless Solutions Group, and I'm certain that 5G will change the world and for the better. I'm Sean Kinney, and welcome to Will 5G Change the World, the weekly podcast where we engage with a wide variety of industry leaders to answer that important question. But first, we've got a recurring segment where we get to know our guest a little bit better by posing three questions from the Proust Questionnaire. Michelle, are you ready for those? Yes, I am. All right. Question number one. What is your current state of mind? Well, I, I'm, I'm anxious right now being in the U.S. about the state of the world and especially with current events that are here uh, going on in our country. There's a lot of anger and misunderstanding and we're all feeling a little tense and a little anxious because of it. But I am very hopeful. And as I think through the important issues of the day, I think a couple of really important ways we can improve understanding and tolerance are through education and exposure to different cultures and to different countries and different ways of doing business and, and life in general. And when you think about connectivity, which is a main topic here today, we are making the world a smaller place in a sense. And when I think about the applications for technologies like 5G, I think there's really an amazing opportunity to connect people in ways that have never been possible before to advance things like education, remote work. And through time, I'm also hoping this will bring people closer together for more tolerance, understanding, and cooperation for the good of us, good of us all, no matter where we are on the planet. And question number two, what is your motto? Well, I'm known for being very persistent and I am also optimistic not in a bouncy sort of way, I think in a realistic optimism sort of way, but I don't believe on giving up on something you believe in. And I, I've just been known as being very, uh, very persistent. I believe there's always a way. I don't say I can't. We figure out a way how to get through setbacks and hardships. And my motto really is just keep swimming. Uh, as Dory said in Nemo, and I think that really characterizes my attitude when facing hardships, I just encourage people not to give up and to really believe in what it is they're trying to accomplish and to enlist others to help you get there, but don't give up easily. And question number three, what is it that you most dislike? When I think about this question, uh, it really brings me to, to attitudes and how people treat each other and being able to, to cooperate and accomplish great things. So haughtiness, or just uh, having a poor attitude toward others and an arrogant, an arrogance that shuts others down in, uh, in conversation really gets to me. And I think it's really not helpful when you're trying to innovate or solve difficult technical problems in the industry or if you're trying to help your customer. So I always try to make sure that I'm modeling uh, integrity and great respect for the people I'm talking to, no matter where they are in the organization. Michelle, in your first response there, you uh, talked a little bit about the the role of connectivity and in, in fostering dialogue. And you know, today we're going to talk about five G and how it applies to a number of important vertical industries. But before we get into that, I'm curious if you can tell me a little bit about how the way you have used connectivity over the course of COVID nineteen has has shifted. Yes, certainly. Um, it, it's interesting because. We just moved into a, a brand new smart building in Charlotte. We built a brand new headquarters for Corning's optical communications 
division. And it's a fantastic office because it was designed for employees to be completely untethered in the organization. And it's just a wonderful work environment because I don't have to worry about becoming disconnected or not having a cell phone signal. In fact, my cell phone will even work in the elevator as I'm moving. So it's, it's really been a fantastic um, experience moving in there. We haven't been in the building long and then COVID came along and we were stuck at home trying to deal with uh, a lot of issues, as we talked about earlier, with staying connected and wondering if your video is going to work and becoming your own IT department. But I think working from home has been an interesting adjustment, but it's really underscored for everyone how important it is to be connected and to have a good connection and what the pitfalls or downfalls uh, are in our current homes, communities, and organizations, and what we need to do to fix that. So I think this has been um, an event that will be transformational because it, it has really underscored the need to solve some of the problems we have that, that should be should be corrected and, and can be very soon. Well, I mentioned earlier that we were going to dig into 5G for verticals, and uh, you and I had some back and forth ahead of this recording to determine which verticals we'd like to focus on, and, and we agreed that we would like to contextualize these a little bit in in the terms of what COVID is doing to these industries, how they are changing. So um, when we think about 5G as a driver of digital transformation for factories and supply chains, I, I think we've got a lot of topicality here. So maybe let's start with this manufacturing hypothetical. Can you help me understand how a 5G enabled manufacturing facility is not only more efficient in terms of, of process and, and outcome, but also uh, healthier and safer. Yes, definitely. I spent a large part of my career working in factories actually with, with Corning and elsewhere. So I know quite a bit about uh, the challenges of being safe and being efficient in terms of manufacturing. And right now the, the lack of reliable high bandwidth and low latency networks has definitely hampered innovations that can radically improve productivity and safety in the workplace. And, um, and if you think about the interconnectivity that could be made possible with 5G between devices and machines, you can just imagine how much smarter our systems and our equipment can be and how much more responsive they can be. And also be predictive to bring real value to factories and to help assist with having humans in those factories interacting with sometimes dangerous equipment and um, and materials. In October, I do want to mention in October last year, Verizon and Corning announced together an effort where we're going to be co-innovating in one of our factories in Hickory, North Carolina, and we're working to build the 5G factory of the future there. So we're actually learning together and envisioning, you know, what are the ways that we can dramatically improve performance there and safety and implementing some of the tools and technologies that are becoming available with 5G. So we'll be looking forward to seeing the outcomes of that efforts together for sure. But I can talk on, uh, based in my, on my previous experience managing both manufacturing and supply chains, there, there are two topics I think I'd like to take on uh, based on your question. One is efficiency, certainly, and the other is safety, which is a really big deal when you're working in, in factories or working in any office environment for that matter. I think um, if, if you can think about um, the coordination that you can do among supply chain points, not just within a factory or within machines, but also among the different points in the supply chain, including 
all the transportation entities that might be involved in transporting your goods from the manufacturing floor to a customer. If all of those things are able to interact in real time through sensors and there's no concern about latency or downtime in terms of being able to get the data, a lot of time can be saved in the whole process. So if we, I thought about a funny example. Uh, we all had questions about why we were running out of toilet paper early on in the COVID crisis. I think that's something everyone can relate to. It was a little bit of a mystery at first. Uh, but what we found out was there, there were two problems. One was the, just the latency of information in the supply chain to understand that you know, a store like a Walmart was being swarmed with customers and they were walking out with all the toilet paper and the supply chain couldn't respond fast enough. The other issue is, which was interesting to me, there's a different manufacturing process and a different supply chain setup for businesses who buy toilet paper in large volumes versus customers who buy a different product uh, for the same purpose. So those factories were also unable to respond because they weren't sure how to turn over the equipment to be able to make um, effective supply for one customer base, which was the individual consumer, versus the, the restaurants, hotels, and those sorts of industrial consumers. So there are two problems to deal with. But if you can, 5G is going to allow um, this sort of thing to take place. Imagine cameras pointed at the shelves in, in any Walmart, really watching real time to understand how much empty shelf space there is and how quickly it's becoming empty. That information could also be combined with information about deliveries that are either on trucks, um, pallets on forklifts, whether it's on trains, where the location of that inventory is, the estimated date of arrival, and also the quantity of toilet paper on every truck, every pallet, every forklift that's in the supply chain. You can also think about the warehouse inside Walmart, having every unit tracked for perfect locations and perfect quantity information. So there's, there's a reduction of error in the system. There's real-time information about expected arrival times. So if there are traffic jams and such, you know where all these units are in the supply chain and the system can be automated in a way that can automatically relay orders to the factory and communicate between stores to make sure you're getting the right amount at the right time for the home. So just thinking about all the sensors, all the data being connected, uh, talking to each other, making sure that you have the full picture of what is needed and when in real time, and then automating the replenishment of those products could make things much, much more efficient and also allow for more cost-effective supply chains and that you'll have less inventory to make up for potential issues uh, throughout that whole supply chain. So it will be lower cost, it will be quicker to respond, uh, and it will be much more effective for the consumer. The second thing I mentioned was around um, reconfiguration of factories. So this is already being tried and, and modeled in some of the auto factories in the world. And that is, um, if you think about heavy capital equipment in a factory set up to run different kinds of products, for a long time we've had robots in factories. I was working with robots programming them in the early 80s. They've been around for a long time. But when you take this to a different level and you imagine that you can actually have robots and equipment that can understand the need for product and reconfigure themselves in a different way to make better use of floor space and better use of assets, you have a much more flexible factory that can really be responsive at a low cost. 
those are the kind of, of situations that'll be very exciting to watch develop because we've never been able to execute on that, those kinds of visions before because we just didn't have the right technology. So I wanna to touch real quick on safety. And that is, um, we, we know that wearables are here uh, to track humans if they if you're willing to be tracked. But certainly if you have wearables and you're able to have sensors on equipment, whether it's moving or stable, and you have access to the employee and you know where they are and how they're moving and where they're moving, you could move to a much more preventative safety atmosphere instead of one that's corrective. Um, knowing firsthand what it's like to have hundreds of employees in a factory working with heavy equipment is, is a very scary thing because you know that people can be uh, injured at any time. Accidents do happen. And as much time as you spend with employees trying to correct behaviors and really keep that heightened sense of awareness to make sure people don't get hurt, it still happens. But with the idea of having sensors and communication between sensors, I really believe this is gonna revolutionize safety and prevent a lot of accidents and injuries from happening in the factories. Um, and in addition with preventive maintenance tools and programs. Sensors, what we'll be able to measure, getting real-time streams of information and data will allow maintenance to be more preventive as well to prevent even further accidents or injuries, either to humans or damage to equipment and lost product. So I think there's just a, there's an infinite number of possibilities you can dream up that will be made possible with 5G. So you did an excellent job of, of sketching out for us the role of 5G in a factory, the role of 5G in facilitating the movement of that good from the factory through a supply chain, then the role of 5G in a retail context and how that uh, sort of real-time information can be fed backwards into the supply chain, back into the manufacturing facility to create value. So I had a prepared question here, but I'd like to iterate on it a little bit. When we consider all of these moving pieces and, and we know that information technology systems, connectivity systems, the value that they create compounds with scale, what are your thoughts on, on the alignment throughout that system from the manufacturing facility through the supply chain to the warehouse, back into the supply chain, into a retail facility? How do you get those myriad stakeholders on the same page in terms of alignment around technology and alignment around improving business outcomes? Yeah, I've, I've thought a lot about this. And of course, we're, um, I, I believe we're working in, um, in, in a zone of collaboration that we haven't seen before. Um, because as you mentioned, in order for this to work, in order for 5G really to bring the value that everyone is talking about, it could potentially provide, it's going to require partnerships. And Corning is certainly partnering with other vendors, customers, carriers in the supply chain to figure out how do we derive the maximum value for these technologies and how do we make sure we're bringing the best of innovations together to bear on a problem? Because it's likely not going to be one company or one vendor or one carrier uh, or one industry that's going to make this happen. It really is going to be a lot of different entities holding hands and solving problems and having joint objectives to make sure those problems get solved. That's why you're seeing things like 
um, the, the ORAN Alliance is a good example of collaboration because we have to figure out what are the appropriate standards to make this happen. We also have to accelerate innovation and get the best technology and thinking of all these companies to bring to bear on the problems of making this work. You're seeing Verizon has teamed up with Walmart as a for instance, they've been public about putting 5G in Walmart stores to help with healthcare uh, issues that they're having. Um, we're certainly doing collaboration in that space, but there's no question it's going to take, you know, I would throw the government in there as well. Government, municipalities, carriers, innovators like Corning, and key lead customers who will be early adopters, I believe will be selecting the early adopter case studies and we will be showing and demonstrating the power of 5G that way. And from there, it will be picked up by other, you know, by other companies who are willing to pay for that, um, for those products and to get the benefits of 5G. So it's definitely gonna take, uh, I think a long time before 5G is ubiquitous in every industry and it's just commonplace, but we're already seeing some pretty excited early adopters that are working together, as I said, in a spirit of collaboration to fund these use cases, to show how they can work, and also to encourage the innovation of new services that now can be laid on these platforms that will work. So I think there's going to be a lot of innovation uh, also in the applications area. Yeah, this whole conversation around uh, openness and collaboration as foundational to, to innovation is, is fascinating. And as soon as I get a, a podcast about complex system theory off the ground, I will absolutely be in touch with you. But to put it more back into this vertical focus, I wanted to touch on another important one that I think we've really seen catalyzed given the pandemic, and that's uh, healthcare. So, you know, I recently had my check in with my doctor and we conducted that over zoom and it was great it worked perfectly but you know i can do that because i live in an area with solid connectivity both fixed and and mobile so that's not exactly true for everyone raises a lot of interesting questions about uh digital equity and so forth but how does 5g fit into this conversation about healthcare uh particularly extending healthcare to populations or geographies that may not have uh, access to what they need right now? That is a great question. It's one I've been thinking about a lot lately. And um, I did some digging on this one too, and the, the um, FCC released their eighth broadband progress report, uh, which you can access on the internet. But they have some great statistics that they capture around um, availability of broadband, how we're doing in terms of penetrating the rural areas, not just the cities, how many citizens are without any broadband access because they just can't get it versus how many are not subscribed. And it's pretty shocking that 19 million people still in the United States have no access to broadband. So they can't even get it if they want it. And that's 3G, 3G, 4G, uh, soon to be 5G, they just don't have it. And if you think about rural areas in particular, I mean, 9%, uh, sorry, 6% of the population doesn't sound like a big deal, but all those people are in rural, rural areas for the most part, and that's about 25% of their population. So a quarter of the people who live in rural areas can't get broadband access. And that's, that's obviously a problem. I think it becomes a bigger problem now with 5G, because if you think about 3G and 4G, it's been a nice to have, really. I mean, it's, it's 
lately gotten to the point where it's a necessity for things like education and being able to, to be safe um, and being connected. It's become a way of life because cellular and internet services are now becoming a, a much more important utility for people to be able to connect differently. But with 5G, I think the dis disparity between services is gonna be much more pronounced. Because now, if you think about the COVID situation, um, there's a big difference between being able to get served by a doctor and be seen in your home and not having to risk going out, particularly if you're someone who is vulnerable. Um, and someone who doesn't have a cell phone in their house, can't get any service uh, to be able to communicate with anyone, now it becomes living in the stone ages. You, you need to be able to connect and it really is becoming the next utility and it's becoming a need to have. So I would expect um, that what's going on right now, there's quite a bit of innovation already happening because people are trying to figure this out. It's been a problem for a long time. The US government is also not, um, not ignorant to this, to this problem and also wanna correct it. In February, the FCC announced a new docket to establish a 5G fund for rural America. And that's gonna make available about $9 billion over the next 10 years, again, to support the deployment of advanced 5G mobile wireless service for rural America specifically, because there just isn't, there is not a good business case for, for the companies who, who have money, who generally put these networks in place, there just isn't a good value prop because there aren't enough people and there aren't enough revenue generated in rural areas. So that problem is going to continue unless we get some help from the government to make sure that these folks are able to afford to put what they need in so they can have access. And number two, it's gonna take some collaboration and innovation. Uh, the, I'd say the problems existed for a long time. It's now becoming a much more serious problem because I, I think it, the disparity of services is just going to be so different and so unfair in terms of human life that we're gonna need to make some quick progress. So. I think it's gonna be an interesting area to look at to see how we're, we may, might solve this problem. Perhaps it'll be through 5G satellites, I don't know. There are already some tools out there that municipalities can use to get service to their rural, um, rural neighbors, but I think it'll be an interesting uh, segment to watch for sure. So you you looked back there on on 4G and and this characterization of you know how it went from nice to have to uh, almost like a utility. So uh, maybe let's let's look at 5G and this generational ups, upgrade and how is it different? You know, I mean the technology. Obviously, we could talk at length about virtualization and new spectrum and cloud native architectures and so forth, but. Uh, maybe just more broadly, how would you characterize the shift from 4G to 5G and kind of continuing our focus on vertical enablement? I, I'm curious about the the environmental implications just at, at a broad scale. And, uh, you know, the, the show is called, Will 5G Change the World? But uh, I mean, is it hyperbolic to say that maybe 5G can change the world and save the world? Yeah, I don't know about saving the world, but I have a couple of thoughts um, on that topic for sure. And, and 5G, people ask, how is 5G different from 4G or the G before that? It is really radically different. And it's not just about the bits and bytes and the speeds and latency and all the things we like to talk about with 5G. But, but by virtue of what it can make possible, 
there are things we have only been able to imagine in the past. Gee, I wish we could do this. But now we can actually do it. We can actually have machine learning. We get neural networks. We can have super fast, low latency um, data applications that truly allow hands-off manufacturing, hands-off driving, things you can do much more safely that you can only imagine doing before. Now we can actually develop the applications to do it. You couldn't do that with 4G or 3G. Um, I do believe it will be a launching point for a number of new industries. It would be fun to imagine what those might be, but I think there'll be a lot more services uh, that, that folks can provide. There'll be a lot more applications, not just for fun, but for industries and different verticals. And, um, and there's gonna be a lot of growth in that way, just non-traditional industries. We are really early on the adoption curve for 5G. A lot of the focus so far in investment has been outdoor, but it is coming indoors is actually here. It's now and we're getting ready. Uh, we, are, we are innovating and getting networks ready indoors for 5G as well, because that'll be every bit as important as what's going on outside. So the maximum benefits again will be delivered over many years, but I think you'll start seeing a remarkable impact to the early adopters this year and next, even indoors, which is pretty exciting. In terms of uh, saving the world, one of the things I know something about is air pollution. And um, I did work in the environmental division at Corning who invented um, catalytic converters for cleaning up air coming out of the tailpipes of automobiles in 1972. That business has been around for quite a while and is, uh, is supplying catalytic converter substrates and filters to most of the world's automotive manufacturers and has been for a long time. So we're really keenly aware of the, um, the Clean Air Act's and the drive to measure, control, and limit emissions from both stationary and mobile sources. And we've been doing that for a very long time. There's been a continued tightening of limits all over the world that have spurred innovations that, that allow industries like the automotive industry to meet those standards. But now uh, with 5G, again, people want to measure, they want real-time information, and they want to act on that information as early as possible, not only for the mitigation of pollution and bad air quality, but for the prevention of it. And it's much more easy to do that if you have good information and you have it real-time instead of trying to guess and trying to control the known categories of sources and, um, and relying on really somewhat archaic measurement techniques in some cases uh, not, not in the automotive industry necessarily, but for stationary practices, having been in a plant, it's, it's a pretty manual and definitely not a real-time process. So you're still losing a lot of opportunity to prevent harmful particles from getting into the air. And, um, you know, I was surprised to read that, that the WHO has, has recently reported that air pollution is still killing 7 million people globally every year. So this is, a, this is an issue that's been an issue for a very long time. And I think it's a hard thing to measure and it's a hard thing to control and prevent. But certainly with more sensors, with massive amounts of sensors and the ability to have them communicate, again, we'll see, I think, some revolutionary ideas around monitoring and control that are gonna make us a lot smarter about what is causing pollution when it's happening and how to do a better job at preventing it. So I'm looking forward to seeing um, what happens in, in the industry to create 
more dense networks of quality sensors for real-time information and what we're gonna do with that information. But we'll be much smarter about putting together complex monitoring and control schemes, both inside and outside vehicles, but also for stationary pollutants so that we can, we can prevent harmful emissions and just be smarter about how to find and fix the worst offenders. So I think there's potential for 5G even in air pollution. It's hard for me to think of an industry that cannot be helped by this technology, quite honestly. You know, as you said, it's, it's early days of 5G and the potential seems limitless. So I appreciate you taking the time to share your perspective on what we can expect in the short term and what we can expect as this proliferates throughout verticals and throughout the world. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Will 5G Change the World is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. The show today was produced and edited by me, Sean Kenny. Thanks for listening.